Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Carlos Hawthorne and I'm a staff writer at Resident Advisor. This week's guest is Lone, or Matt Cutler as he's known to his friends. Cutler's music possesses that rare quality, you know it as soon as you hear it. He makes dreamy, uplifting electronic records with a hint of melancholia and has released six albums on labels like Actresses, Work Discs and RNS. His partnership with the latter has been particularly successful and you can see why. A big part of Lone's thing is presenting fresh takes on 90s UK dance music, from ambient and electronica to jungle and rave indebted club bangers. We discussed his love for that era and unpacked the methods behind his singular sound when he dropped by our London office recently. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at RA-Exchange. The exchange with Loan is up next. It all comes down to girls that break, to break my heart. I noticed you'd tweeted a couple of things in honour of Prince's passing um, and one of them you, you called him a total genius and I just wanted to know why you thought that. I mean, what was it about him as an artist that that made him so special? I don't know where you start. I mean, I, yeah, tw- you, you mentioned that tweet. I um, I went back and listened to his first album. I was reading the like, notes on the back or whatever and it was uh, just a list of everything that he played and... He wrote everything, produced everything, sang everything, and like the the list of instruments is just crazy. And like he's um he's like the best guitarist ever, and it's that's just like not his main thing. It's just he just happens to be, you know. But I mean, I'm I'm by no stretch like a super super Prince fan, but I'm just you know some of his music is like some of, some of my favorite music ever, definitely. So yeah, undeniably a genius. I think. I mean, more broadly speaking, what is it that makes a musical genius, in your opinion? I'm not sure. I think it's just kind of, um, I guess, just like a talent that appears to come from nowhere, really. I suppose it's the same in any sort of, not not necessarily just musical genius, but any kind of, where it's just kind of not been taught at all, maybe. And it's just kind of, I don't know, it just seems to beam out of somebody, you know, like an unstoppable sort of force, I think, generally, is how I understand it. Yeah, I agree, I think. So Prince made 39 albums and you're on your sixth, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I've released six, but I've done about, I've done, yeah, I've done way more than that. I've done like 20 odd, but they're just all sitting in a room somewhere that no one's heard. I read that you much prefer the kind of album making process, taking longer with the project and really getting into that headspace. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's just the way I've always worked. So I think that's why I like to, I prefer it that way. When I was younger and making tunes just at home, I would kind of imagine that they would come out as albums, you know. I kind of like draw front covers to them and stuff like that. So I would always just put together albums, like work with that in mind. Like it was, I was always working towards um, 
an album of tracks. So I've just always worked like that. I've not just made tracks for the sake of it. They've always been with the idea of sitting next to other tracks and forming a complete piece of work. So, um, so yeah, it's just it's what I know best, basically. And um, I feel like I can get get what I'm trying to say across much better with a bunch of tracks that form an album rather than any anything else. So yeah, it's just the best the best way for me, I think. Yeah, totally. I think when you're younger, you form such strong, intimate relationships with albums. And, you know, the dance floor isn't so much of a concern because you're not going out, you're not going clubbing, you're just listening to things as, as kind of fully formed pieces of music. Um, and the tracks just isn't so much of a concern. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, there's certain albums that I just worshipped, really, when I was younger, like, just know inside out and just kind of would listen to every day. So just trying to, yeah, constantly trying to make something that would, you know that is as good as that basically if that makes any sense like as good maybe as good to another person or just for myself just if i can make something that i can sort of objectively see that it is might be possibly as good as one of those records that i was obsessed with so so yeah you announced the album i mean it was literally yesterday it's called levitate and what's next for you in the album release process there's a video that's been made to one of the tracks we're looking forward to putting that out and um yeah, some live shows, a new live show with a drummer and new visuals and yeah, new material. And uh, yeah, then the album will be out and then I guess touring will be will be the sort of what the rest of the year would look like, I guess. So you're going to tour mostly live? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I'm well up for doing, I'm well up for DJing a bunch this year as well, though, to be fair. But um, well, with the last album, I toured a ridiculous amount. And with this one, it won't be as much, I think. We went to so many places and it's like there's certain places that maybe didn't hit as hard or maybe, I don't know, it would make more sense to just go to the key places or, I don't know, less is more maybe, but we'll see. I mean, I might end up just touring more, yeah, I'm not sure. But So do you generally construct a new live show around every new album? Sort of, yeah. I mean, for this, this time, definitely, but... Um it's kind of just grown gradually over the course of all of it. Like each time, it's just got a bit more towards something resembling a proper live set, really. Because uh, I'm still always G DJing as well, so just like I say, it just gr it's gradually getting to that point, basically. So, what's involved in the live show? Yeah, it's going to be me, a drummer, and uh, Tom, who's been doing visuals for me for the last couple of tours. So, um, yeah, it's I mean, especially with this with this new music as well, because the majority of it's like 150 BPM or whatever. So it's kind of like jungle. So with with live drums as well, it's going to be pretty full on. So um, I mean, it's not going to be like that the whole. We're not just going to play that. We're going to play some old stuff as well, but. Those tunes are definitely going to be uh, pretty interesting live, I think, definitely. So the first single, is uh, Backtail, was heavy. In order to listen to it, you had to dial a rave hotline, which was one of the more innovative promo ideas um, in an era of innovative promo ideas. I mean, whose idea was that? Um, well, it's, um, Andy at r &S, um, suggested that we um, put out a uh, phone number when we met up talking about how we're going to go about doing everything. And... Uh, the original idea was to um, give directions to a to a rave that like, didn't exist, but then we thought, <laughs> as funny as that would be, some people might actually go and try and find it, and it might just get a bit confusing. So, um, yeah, we just have over a couple of beers, we kind of just talked about it and just thought, actually, like a pirate radio station kind of makes sense. And get Normski to, to, to do it, we could, which we could actually make, make that happen, so we did. And... Um, yeah, it was just a laugh, really. I mean, that was, like, not to be taken seriously at all. It was just a funny way of kind of letting people know there's some new material out coming soon, you know, so. So does it feel very different promoting a record in 2016 than it has before? Yeah, it does actually. Yeah, slightly different. I mean, it certainly does from the one before that, which is 2012. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'm, and I'm kind, I'm kind of into it, to be honest. I quite like the idea of getting creative with how you're going to put something out. And uh, I just see it as another way of being creative and having fun with it. So I'm quite into, like, working within the sort of boundaries of 2016, like, how people con- consume music, um, you know, how short people's attention spans are and stuff. I even thought about that with the actual writing process of the record. It's like... I want to make something that's just a slap in the face that you don't want to skip at all. And it's not, you know, it's really, really short. Someone can just put it on and it can kind of hold their attention, you know, for that, like, 35 minutes or whatever. So, I want, yeah, even the campaign and everything to be kind of snappy like that, so. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the mainstream, the way artists are kind of being tied exclusively to different streaming platforms and obviously just trying to find a way to get this record out and for it to be the only... You can only listen to it in a, just one way, and yeah, I'm not so much into that to be honest. But <laughs> so, what records influence this new album? Yeah, there's a bunch. The, the main one that springs to mind is um, music, Mike Paradinus, an album he did in '97 called uh, Lunatic Harness. It's one of the first albums I ever owned, and it's kind of like from that era of like him and Aphex Twin and Luke Vibert and Square Pusher, kind of making. Um, like jungle jungle music essentially but like completely mental jungle music with with real nice attention to like melodies and chords and stuff which is something I've I took from them the whole the whole way across yeah that record is especially melodic and colorful but it has like it's all really fast and it's crazy drum programming and, and stuff when I was in my teens and stuff I was making like music like that the whole time I was making like jungle sort of electronica stuff and since I've been releasing tracks myself as lone I've not had a go at doing anything like that since. So it's been like over 10 years since I've worked with breakbeats in that way kind of thing. So I wanted to see if I could still do it, basically. So that's kind of, that was my thinking behind it. So listening to records like that music thing and uh, Aphex Twin, Richard D. James album. Yeah, just real melodic, mad music, basically. So the jungle thing is, I mean, it's not completely new, but it feels fresher, whereas the, the hardcore and the rave thing are definitely two sounds that you've visited before. And I was listening to your interview with Boiler Room and you said that you were done with hardcore and rave. I mean, what changed? It's just, I just needed a break. It's just, the, it's like, um, it's just like this one I've got, I was, after doing that last time, I was bored of making like 4-4 four, four tunes. Bored of, that was literally it. That was my motivation. like, right, I'll just, just see if I can still do shit with breakbeats, basically. See if I can still actually do that. And that gave me a complete buzz. And that gave me a complete like boost to, to do to do this project, basically. I mean, they're, they're all ravey, hardcore moments on this, but it's more about just the beats are kind of taken from that kind of sound, really. The, the, the melodies and stuff are kind of, I'm trying to be quite honest with them and stuff. And not, I don't want it to be a throwback record at, at all, because it's, 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 I don't think it is. But it has, like, in, in terms of the beats, it definitely has that sound. But what goes on top of the beats is totally, totally me, I think. I mean, is it the case that when you're, you know, when you're in a housey period or an ambient period or whatever it may be, that you will just make music in that vein? You know, you're quite a prolific producer. So, I mean, is that just the way it works? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, like, literally, like, I started writing a couple of, like, new tunes in this last couple of weeks since finishing that the new album. And they're all house tunes. So it's like, yeah, I just run with something and then get bored of it and want to just react, like, do the complete opposite. So, like... um yeah, I want to put out some just house tunes next, I think, you know, it's just kind of whatever I'm into at the time. So literally, that's what sort of motivates me. So it could be that you just hear a particularly good house record and it just puts you back into that mindset? Yeah, all, all with yeah, with whatever genre, basically. But yeah, just hanging around with my mates. And like, we just relaunched our label Magic Wire. And um, 
yeah, just just getting into how you listen to loads of house tunes that my uh, mates are playing me and stuff, and just kind of it goes like that, really. When you DJ, do you DJ quite across the board? I do, yeah, but I mean, I like to DJ house and techno mainly, but I mean, like, if I can play hip hop or disco or like 80, 80s sort of like boogie stuff, then I'm I'm pretty happy. So across the board with all that stuff, really, yeah. If I can get get away with it, I'll get like ravey towards the end. But but yeah, yeah, I guess it's pretty across the board, yeah. So you said that for the new album, part of the inspiration came from a, an ill and bedridden trip to the US. I mean, it sounds like the album literally came to you in a dream. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever had a fever that's pretty bad that you're kind of, I don't know, it's, it's almost like tripping, yeah? It's almost like hallucinating kind of uh, delirious kind of vibes. It's really horrible. And um, I've been touring in America for the, for the last album and then um, it's pretty re relentless until we got to New York. We had like four days off. I just got to New York and got to my hotel and just got in bed and that was it I was just I was like I couldn't move for like four days I was completely done and I can remember having a sort of dream or kind of hallucination or just like it's kind of it's kind of like when you're lying there suffering and kind of there's just so much information going through your head because you're just so ill and kind of I don't know it's just horrible I was like just dreaming up all these kind of like jungle beats but I remember sort of dreaming about like um like ice cream van tones, you know, like when you when you were younger, hearing that kind of weird sort of like wind up melody sort of thing from an ice cream van, that over breakbeats. And I was like, shit, that's kind of a good idea. I'm like, <laughs> when I get home, I'm going to have a go at that. So, um, I mean, the, the ice cream van tones never actually made it to levitate, but I did try. I tried quite hard to get it to get it to sound like that. Yeah. And it didn't wasn't wasn't really working. But, you know, without that kind of initial thing. I guess that was the the very first spark as to what I was going to do next, bizarrely. And at the same time, you were listening to this Mike Paradinas album. Well, that made me think of it, and then I kind of I kind of thought, shit. From New York, we went, we went, uh, ended up in LA, and um, a friend of ours took us out for the day and was driving us around, and he had all these unreleased jungle and hardcore edits by uh, two um, quite heavyweight electronic producers. And it was just like, we were just driving around LA list blasting this stuff out. And um, that was it. I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to go home and try and write something like fast with breakbeats. What, however it will sound, you know, that's, that's definitely what I'm going to try and do. So, yeah, that was when I knew really. When I got home, I was just going just gonna to work on a, <laughs> a jungle record sort of thing. I mean, was there a part of you that wanted to induce yourself back into that feverish state? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but yeah, I, no, I see what you mean, but nah, definitely not. It's not. I've not been that ill since either, so yeah, hopefully it will never happen again. It's awful. Right, because a similar thing happened with reality testing where, I mean, you explain it, but that, that kind of came to you in a dream as well. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing with my stuff. I feel like I'm banging on about dreams and stuff all the time, but it really does. It really, I do really find it as just a, an endless sort of pool of inspiration. Really, yeah, it's really hard to explain. But just trying to sort of, um, I find uh, through music is a good way of trying to get to those sort of atmospheres and those sort of emotions that you can't kind of put your finger on. Yeah, music's a great one for that. And uh, those emotions kind of come to me in dreams as well. And it's kind of about, yeah, just trying to sort of get back to these weird states and trying to soundtrack them or trying to make some sort of sense out of it all, really. So, yeah, it's a constant, yeah, constant source of uh, inspiration for me. So you said that the record has uh, a new theme. And so that would be the return to jungle then? 
I guess so, yeah. I mean, but yeah, like I say, when just driving around LA, listening to these tunes with the perfect blue sky, I just wanted something that, like, my version of what we were listening to, if we just put that on in the car and drove around LA, you know, that would be the perfect thing. So it was just more of like a colour palette in a sort of weird sense as well. Just that's what I was imagining when I was working on these tunes and trying to soundtrack a scene and that that was the scene really and it just it just grows sort of snowballs on its own from there I guess right because you said you had a creative slump after reality testing yeah for sure I do every, after every album it turns out really but this one was particularly bad it was kind of really depressing this one I mean <laughs> I didn't really know where to start at all I mean how does that manifest itself yeah I just literally have no ideas at all and every time it happens I feel like that's it that's just done now that's it every time and Someone will say to me, like my girlfriend will say or whatever, you said this last time and then it happened. You, you always end up being all right eventually. But I can't see that at the time. I'm like, no, nah, shit, I think this is really it. It's really done now. And then, uh, yeah, get another idea and it's fine again. <laughs> but it's touch and go for a bit. So the thought of the well running dry really scares you? Yeah, definitely, yeah. So, I mean, it's a case of just sitting in front of the computer and nothing's coming out? Yeah, totally. And then, because, like... Yeah, nothing will come, so I won't have anything to do that day. So I'll just kind of watch some, like, Netflix or watch a film and I just stop feeling really guilty. <laughs> like, shit. Oh, man, this is what am I doing with my life? But then it comes back, though, and then, you know, I'm working every day and it's like I feel like I've got a purpose again. So, yeah, it's kind of scary if it runs out. <laughs> I don't have much of a purpose. So did this period last particularly long? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I did, well, probably not that long, actually, but it felt like years, but it's probably a few months where where I really couldn't do anything. But then there's a few months of even having the ideas and starting and then stopping again. And it's just kind of like, I know what I want to do, but I'm not really hitting it. And then you, you make one track and you're like, oh, shit, that's it. And then the rest snowball from there. So, so yeah, you'll tour this record. I mean, how long until you start thinking about the next record, usually? There's kind of been roughly gaps of two years. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, technically, it would be like if I spend the rest of this year touring and stuff, early next year, I'd start the next one, I guess. But It's important for you for there to be a stylistic shift from record to record. Yeah, no, definitely, yeah. Just because, uh, yeah, I need to keep myself interested, really, before I think about anything else. And if I do the same thing, then I just, I just know I, I won't be happy with it and I'll be kidding myself, so... So thinking about Jungle Rave and Hardcore, um, when did your relationship with those music start? Like really early on, really. Like when I was about nine or ten, I sort of overheard that that stuff. It would have been about around 1994. So Jungle was like really happening. But I was hearing like Hardcore, which was kind of, I don't know, I'm, I was hearing tunes that were probably about two years old by this point. And uh, it's kind of out. But I was getting my hands on these tapes just through like friends of my sisters or like friends of like like some of my, my mates dads were into rave and stuff so i'd get like these tapes and just sort of like i got in well into like alternating prodigy and stuff like that and then just managed to get my hands on like recordings from like raves and stuff then track down what these tracks were who the djs were and stuff so hardcore and jungle was like my introduction to music like full stop really before that i'd i didn't like anything that i'd heard because all i'd heard was like whitney houston or Luther Vandross was the nice stuff my mum was listening to, but... You didn't like any of that? I like Luther Vandross now, definitely, but, uh, yeah, not at the time, not when I was nine. I thought, it was, like, I'd never, I, thought I was never going to be into music. I thought, I don't get this. Really? But then I heard Jungle and stuff, and that made complete sense. So. Can you articulate what it is about those records, those sounds, that feeling that kind of captured your imagination? It's music that just constantly changes. You listen to, like, Trip to the Moon Part 2 by Asian, which is, like, my favourite hardcore tune. 
it's got it's just got about like ten mad different sections to it. You know, it's like I can't believe that was music that was played in clubs at that time. You know, like it's just so mad, so inventive, and like exciting there's no nothing more exciting than that music still to me so right it's like as hyperactive as yeah a, as a child hyperactive. yeah yeah exactly yeah no no attention span whatsoever yeah it totally makes sense if you think of like people always get into the louder brasher genres first and then work their way yeah, down yeah. refine their taste totally yeah i mean rave jungle hardcore uh, definitely some of the musics that are kind of most readily associated with your sound but if you had to choose two others, it'd be hip-hop and ambient. Um, I wonder if you could just draw us a kind of rough timeline of when you got into those musics and, and how you engage with them. I guess, like, if, just through my teenage years, really, with hip-hop, I got into skateboarding when I was about 14 or 15. And then, yeah, me and a little group of friends got into skateboarding, and then we just sort of, like, through watching skate videos and stuff, there was we heard, like, Wu-Tang, and that was that was our, like, introduction to, to hip-hop. Yeah, and then th- from there it's kind of obsessed and just eventually kind of, yeah, through through Wu-Tang just checked out as m- every sort of all hip-hop, basically, until I got to, like, Mad Lib and Dilla when I was, like, in my late teens, early 20s, and that stuff was like, right, this is exactly what I'm, exactly what I've been looking for the whole time kind of thing. With, like, ambient and electronica, that's kind of, that stuff just, that's pretty early on as well, because I, I got into Aphex Twin when I was really young. When I was about 13, I think I got my first Aphex album. So, like, just through listening to Warp Records and stuff like that, I guess, like, then getting to boards and Orteca and stuff, that's kind of, like, through them you kind of hear ambient stuff as well. So I guess I've, I've always, that's always been there as well. So it's just always stuff that I've grown up with, really, that all just kind of melds together into what I do now, really. Really, really amazing music taste for. for (laughs) But you know what? It's kind of like I remember I used to listen to like John Peel was on and stuff, and uh, Marianne Hobbs would do the Breeze Block. If any sort of kid was exposed to that stuff and they happened to kind of like some of it, if you listen to like John Peel or Marianne Hobbs at the time, they'd just totally sort you out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they literally put me onto so much amazing music that it's just like. I owe a hell of a lot to people like that as well, you know, so. So you're making music from really early, like 10 years old? Yeah, but it was kind of like just a, a tape recorder and a keyboard. Well, I mean, you're 10 years old. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> like, I don't even know. I've got some of it still on tape, but I don't dare listen to it. And have you kind of been making music ever since? I guess I have, yeah, in some way or another. And then when I, when I was about 15, I got a, um, I got a computer, got FL Studio, and... Um, yeah, since then I got took it like really. Before that, actually, it was like music for the PlayStation. It's just a game that you could build tunes on. But yeah, until, it wasn't until I got the um, the computer that I started taking it a bit more seriously, really. And you grew up in Nottingham. Yeah. Was uh, I mean, were you going out at all? Was there kind of any? Not till kind of later on, really. Not till I was like eighteen or nineteen or something. Like that. I was a bit of a kind of nerd, really, because I was kind of grew up on. On the outskirts of Nottingham in a little town, so um, I didn't go to the city that much until I was older, and then I moved out and lived there, and kind of yeah, went to a lot of hip hop nights, a lot of techno nights, and stuff like that. It was, yeah, it was decent. If we can just go back to reality testing uh, for a second, I mean, one of the things that cropped up again and again reading reviews about it is that it was your kind of easiest listen, kind of most accessible record. I just wondered if you agreed and how you felt about that. Yeah, I do. I mean, it wasn't intentional, really. It was just. Kind of like every album has a bit of a storyline, kind of, or a bit of a theme. And the one for that was kind of like a hazy sort of New York backdrop or something. 
like some skate video type vibe to it. So I guess that is quite easy going, and it's you know it's always going to be kind of easy going. But this one is kind. Of, this one's the hardest for sure. So yeah, again, it's just a, a yeah. They kind of got increasingly, increasingly faster and yeah, more pumping. Yeah. Like that's just because I yeah reacting to the last one again you know which I'll always do like the next one will probably be even more mellow than reality testing I don't know it's just I seem to react to get bored and want to react to whatever I've done before basically I was really interested to read that you enjoy listening to your own music I think you're one of the few artists who who've said that you know people usually have a kind of complicated relationship with it whether that's through some kind of self-loathing or, or whether they're just totally sick of their records. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I really like what you said because you just, you know, this is music custom built for you and you're not saying that it's the best music you know, out there. You're just saying that it's music that you have made and who's going to enjoy it more than you, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't, really don't understand how you wouldn't see it like that. I mean, because the only, the only motivation for doing it is making music I want to hear. So like, I literally making music for myself to listen to. That's the only point of doing it. <laughs> so of course I'm gonna listen to it. I listen to it all. Like the only like the major goal of finishing an album is like I just can't wait to have the whole thing to listen to. Like you know, because it is it is for me before it's for anyone else. So, but you must listen to the track so many times. Yeah, true. But um, again, once an al- once you've got an album together, it's it, all the tracks once they're arranged in the right order, they kind of take on a different life and it's like a different context for each tune. So it kind of um, it feels fresh again once you've finished it. But, you know, I'm, I've not listened to Levitate for a while now. Like, I'm completely done with that. So I need to go and make some more stuff. So right. that's kind of how it works, basically. How long did it take you to make the album? On and off, just, just over a year, I think. And there's a couple of false starts, but it really came together massively in the last few months before I handed it in. I think I made, like, six tunes in, like, a month and a half. You know, before then it was kind of... I was taking months to write one, so it was a pretty, pretty weird process. I mean, does it tend to happen like that? Kind of a really slow start and then... I think so, yeah. I mean, um, with the one before, it was more kind of evenly spread because I think that I, would, I probably had more of a clear vision from the start of what I wanted to do with the last one. But this one, yeah, gathered momentum over time. A month before I handed it in, I nailed most of it, really. It was, it was pretty mad. I mean, having put out a record as successful as reality testing, are you not at all nervous about putting out an album that's, you know, in a completely different direction? Well, no, yeah, I mean, um, I'm not really nervous about this one, but I probably should be a bit more than I am. But, um, yeah, this one's a lot, this one's definitely harder. Um, you know, and I think the easiest thing for me to have done would have been to make another album in the same vein as the last one and push that forward. And I could have got probably, you know, it could have been more commercial and I could have got further career-wise and all that kind of stuff. But I'm like, I'm too kind of set on this idea of being like an artist I guess I want to I want to make some I want to be kind of like I want to make something that I know if I was a fan if I was like this like a teenager or something that was into it you know I was into Lone and he came out with a jungle record after this one I'd just be so hyped I'd be like that is the coolest thing you could have done so that excites me to do it for myself so <laughs> that was my only sort of thinking I was like right that's what I'm going to do then like there's a vision of an artist there as someone who's constantly challenging themselves, constantly taking left turns. Yeah, definitely. Like my favourite artists do, you know. I also read that you visualise your tracks as kind of sonic landscapes. 
Sort of, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, like, I don't know if it's synesthesia or not. I've never been, like, tested or I don't know how you would be, but maybe, like, a mild form of it, I think. But I definitely, yeah, see sounds as colours and shapes that move in and out of time to the music. Like, they completely, perfectly, perfectly represent how things sound. So, and it's always been like that. So I'm not sure if any of it's, like, imagination or how much of it is just, like just happening without me having a say in it at all I, it's, it's a weird one but I definitely know it's been it's made making music without any sort of training or anything like that a lot easier just to be able to kind of always visualize it like every time I hear a song I'll visualize it in the exact same way and it's like I'm not trying to do that it just it just looks the same as it sounds every time so I, it makes me wonder that you know it might be synesthesia or it's kind of yeah you touched on the label earlier on Magic Choir, which you've kind of relaunched recently. And I mean, what did it ever really go away? Uh, no, it was just kind of put on hold, I guess. It was just kind of too busy to to kind of give it the time it needed. But um, it's now kind of we're working with RNS with the label as well. So um, we brought in a good friend of ours, Sammy, who's uh, DJs as Gabriola. Um, we do the Magic Wire um, NTS show together, and uh, yeah, he's kind of taken the reins a bit more and we've kind of yeah relaunched it and um yeah signed a bunch of new people so it's kind of yeah it's all go with it really and um that's kind of what I'm getting inspired by at the moment with my own tracks it's listening to the people that we're kind of putting out and like um yeah a lot of really cool house music basically yeah that project Pablo P was really nice and yeah thinking about it, that mood heart that summery Vancouver you know outdoor party vibe is a really nice fit with your sound you know with your aesthetic yeah definitely you mentioned your NTS show there how's that been going yeah it's great I think it's I think it might be gathering you know slowly but surely gathering a bit of steam and we're just really enjoying doing it it's just a right laugh basically just have a few beers and then just go and play some tunes and because we've got so much stuff coming out well we have like quite a lot of stuff coming through from the label we've got a lot of stuff to play and uh, yeah it's great fun man so um, yeah like I say that's definitely seems to be inspiring what I do as loan as well quite a lot so so you signed to RNS with Galaxy Garden and the album before that you'd put out on Magic Wire I mean what were the key differences the key shifts in, with working with a label like RNS I definitely felt the pressure when I first signed I did an EP for them when I first signed called Echo Locations yeah it was kind of scary actually and I kind of, I think maybe on, on reflection the first tracks that I was handing into them I sort of felt like I should be making a sort of uh, homage to R&S a little bit. After that EP, I kind of thought, actually, no, I just need to do my own thing. And kind of, I think uh, Galaxy Garden, it maybe had a bit of that kind of, I'm trying to, trying to sort of like give a nod to R&S because I'm, I'm so happy to be on the label and that kind of thing. But um, after that, I kind of, yeah, I, I kind of felt more confident in myself, really. And then I was just, it, it's kind of irrelevant in a sense. Uh, as much as I love the label, it was just kind of about making the best music I can, really. Uh, it's the most original music I can, so. Yeah, I suppose the last thing a label like RNS wants to be doing is, is putting out, you know, similar sounding stuff. Uh, it's really interesting seeing labels like RNS and and Warp just, you know, trying to stay with the times and keep up with things and, and the decisions they make. And, you know, they have these incredible reputations to uphold. It's, a, it's an interesting journey. Totally. So what's it like working with the label day-to-day? 
It's great, yeah, it's really cool. They give me tons of freedom. When I started making uh, the last one, reality testing, yeah, we just kind of like, it'd been a while since the one before that, so um, their idea was like, it'd be good to put out a, a sort of standalone single, um, which ended up being the Airglow Fires tune. And um, yeah, it was just really helpful with just like, if you want to put out a tune that's, you know, like a standalone tune, it needs to be a big, a big tune and kind of, just kind of me sending them loads of tunes and going, no, this is, this is, it's almost there, but it's kind of, you know, and then that one was like my last attempt. I was like, Ugh, I don't, yeah, what about this one? I thought it was shit. And <laughs> they were like, no, no, that's the one, trust me, that's the one. It was, yeah, really cool. And then after I did the album and that was all good. And then with this album, they just kind of left me alone, really. Just like, yeah, we're kind of cool with you doing whatever you want to do. And just, yeah, being supportive when they need to be, so. It's great fun. So the first time they heard the project was when it was done? Uh, not exactly. I'd, I'd sent a few bits across. And I'd, t- I'd completely told them, I'd like, every time I'd meet up with them, I'd explain to them my thinking and stuff. So they, they, they're expecting a jungle record. Right, so during the process, you kind of have regular meetings? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm kind of friends with the, those guys as well, you know. So, yeah, you see quite a bit of them. When you're making music, do you, do you ask for any second opinions? Do you show it to anyone? Yeah, I mean, I play it to, like, friends and stuff. Yeah, I mean... Unless it's really bad, then people are just generally quite supportive. So, or either that, or they just tell me what I want to hear. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the other main takeaway from your music is that it's kind of overwhelmingly positive, uplifting, summary. And I was just wondering what that was a reflection of. It's a weird one because it's kind of like um, it's not intentionally that way. I think it's like it's kind of almost like therapy a little bit for me I think because I'm not I'm not yeah you know, I'm not like that as a person generally at all uh, <laughs> yeah I do have bouts of like kind of depression and stuff like that and yeah so when I make music it kind of that's the thing that cheers me up more than anything so like I guess making kind of really bright and up music kind of takes me out of certain things like certain kind of like bad phases or whatever and um I think that's why it's so positive really it's kind of yeah like I say it's kind of like therapy in a in a weird way and that totally ties in with you listening back to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, completely. I mean, do you listen to dark, melancholic music? Sometimes, yeah. Um, but it's probably yeah, it's probably not my favorite favorite stuff. I mean, generally, I'm always just chasing that kind of when when a tune makes you kind of ner- uh, like hair stand on end, you know, gives you the shivers, and uh, that can come from anything really. But generally, that comes from nice chords and good melodies. That's the main sort of. So I'm kind of I'm chasing music like that generally, but. I did listen to some Penderecki this morning, actually. That's probably the scariest music ever, so... Yeah, because thinking about that music, I mean, Jungle in particular, hardcore is maybe more uplifting, but, you know, a lot of that music is dark, so it's just interesting to, to approach that music but then to kind of extract all the positivity from it and focus only on that. But it's kind of like the dark sort of elements of, like, hardcore and stuff, they always... I, I kind of always thought of them as more just, like, energy, like... Uh, the sort of more like aggressive moments. I just thought thought of that as just like really exciting energy in a track. Just give the give tracks so much like I don't know, yeah, so much energy. I never thought it was being dark necessarily. I just thought of it as just like being powerful more than anything. I think. What are your general listening habits day to day? It depends if I'm kind of working on tunes and it's like listening to what I'm I'm working on generally or messing about making stuff. But generally, yeah, I'm, if I'm if I'm doing anything else, I've generally got music on in the background, kind of listening to music most of the time really i think yeah i don't, I don't know this it's kind of all, all over the place really but I, I mean do you go through phases where you're only listening to like 
specific records? I mean, those phases, I remember, are definitely a lot stronger when you're younger. Yeah, I mean, I think mainly when I'm traveling for gigs and stuff, that's that's a great time to listen through stuff, I think. And that would be like listening through things I'm sent to play out or um, or just really getting really deep into an album I'm into or whatever and listening to it all the way through. Because, yeah, generally when I'm at home, I'm kind of working, so I'm... I'm I'm listening to what I'm working on or um, listening to what I have been working on. And then, yeah, I guess I listen to tunes at night. But it's kind of, yeah, it's my own stuff more than anything, really. But when I'm, yeah, when I'm traveling, that's when I really get delve into other people's stuff and get, like, fixated on certain albums or certain tunes or whatever. Do you enjoy revisiting old favorites a lot? Yeah, I do go through phases of listening to certain things from my childhood or whatever, like... uh, yeah, like when I was making this album, I listened to a lot of the hardcore tunes that I really loved back then and like listened to those over and over again. Or the album before, I was like only listening to like hip hop tunes and kind of um, certain Detroit things. And yeah, at the moment, I'm kind of, yeah, the, the main stuff I'm well into is just the stuff we're being sent for Magic Wire and um, the stuff I'm working on, really. Do you feel like when you were younger, you were kind of directly trying to copy certain tracks or albums? Yeah, definitely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's like certain stuff from when I'm like in my teens. It's just like a comp- like track for track. I'll make an album that's track for track, like a, trying to be like an early Ortega album or something. <laughs> but, you know, eventually over time, it's like you sack off all those things and you do end up with something that's your own. So it's kind of, it's good fun. Yeah, I really like you said also you treat albums as kind of, you know, as a way of documenting your life in the way that you would with a photo album or with a written diary. Um, and I wonder if we just take an album at random from your career, say Lemuria, I mean, what does it transport you back to? I guess I was making, half of that was made when I was still, the last sort of year I was living at my mum's place. And the last bit of it was done when I moved out into, into the town, into Nottingham with my friends. So just a lot of hanging out with friends and kind of, I don't know, I, don't know, I remember there was a really good summer that year, and it was like 2007, 2008. And it takes me back to like, just kind of like getting into other people that were making like instrumental beats music, like hip hop stuff. Like I remember hearing Hudson Mohawk and Rusty and um, Flying Lotus. It was like the MySpace time. So like, there just seemed to be like, I think Jay Diller had just passed as well. So it's kind of like, there's an explosion of people, like myself included, I'd say, just obsessed with making like hip-hop tunes like instrumental hip-hop stuff but it's called wonky at the time (laughs) it's the worst name ever but like yeah that takes me back to just just hearing loads of really interesting music from different bedroom producers around the world through myspace i think yeah it's it's a good time that definitely what about reality testing yeah just i'm thinking about that now just makes me think about touring and moving to london and kind of yeah the best time really just the kind of like the album got a lot of love, do you know what I mean? It's really satisfying to, to get that response to it. Are you someone that reads every review? Um, not every review, but, like, there's certain ones that I'm... I'm kind of interested, just because I was a nerd when I was growing up. Like, I would collect all the music magazines and kind of... Because that was just before the internet, so, like... I would get, I'd get like... What's it? Like, Select Magazine and Enemy and kind of, like... this one, Jockey Slut, I used to get. It was amazing. And um, Mix Mag, DJ Mag... Yeah, I'd be completely obsessed and read all the reviews, you know, and t- I'd take a lot of it for kind of, that would would actually have, have an impact on me. So, I'd, yeah, I do, t- I still do, uh, you know, I take take it into account. So, Yeah, I mean, I find it hard to imagine that, you know, as an artist, if you've made the record, just kind of trusting a, a writer's judgment 
enough to kind of yeah exactly yeah it's get totally offended but it, it definitely but you know like i think there's a quote from the guy from, it might have been johnny from radiohead i remember saying something like you read a hundred good reviews and one bad review and that one just means way more than all the all the good ones put together you know and i kind of that's that kind of rings true a bit i don't know what what that says but a, a negative comment really does hit a lot harder than a positive one <laughs> If we imagine, you know, a time five years into the future and you are kind of reminiscing over Levitate, I mean, what will, you, what will your memories be? That's, that's interesting. I'm not sure. I mean, the making of the record was done in a kind of, um, in my last flat in, when I first moved to London. It's basically like a little pod at the top of the third floor. It's like a secret room with another set of stairs that went up and I just put my gear in there and just... Yeah, it being summer and trying to make jungle tunes with the window open, boiling in this room, it's a tiny little sweat box. So I don't know what's going to happen once the album comes out. I'll probably be attached to those memories, but for now, I'm just yeah, sitting in that little room trying to make jungle music. <laughs> <laughs>